Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the last Sunday after the Epiphany and Transfiguration Sunday, and we hear from me, Emily Hansen Curran, as I preach from the lectionary, which was Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. A confession I have is that <clears throat> I really didn't think much of this story until I was assigned to preach on it this morning. I mean, like I knew about it, but I didn't think it was that important. Uh, but fun fact I learned this week is that every year on this Sunday before Lent is to begin, no matter how many Sundays there are in this season after the Epiphany, we read this same story a story which is also told in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. So obviously there are a lot of directions we could go this morning, but I found myself so taken by these layers of meaning found in these connections that it's there I'd like to focus. I mean, there's got to be a good reason this story is read every year at the same turn in the liturgical year and is included in each Gospel. So here's what I find interesting and noteworthy. First, I find the story's location in the biblical account interesting. So in each of the synoptic gospels, this transfiguration story follows the disciples' understanding, at least in name, of who Jesus is. In each account, you'll remember this story. Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And in each account, there's a similar response. Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And and then Jesus asks them, but who do you say I am? And Peter is the one who speaks up every time and says, you are the Messiah. Peter understands that Jesus is something beyond the prophets. But then again, in each gospel account, the writer goes on to say that it was at that moment that Jesus began to teach his disciples that he must, quote, go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And then, in every account, this story of the transfiguration comes next. Something about understanding who Jesus is is to understand that what he was up to will cause him to suffer and to die, but that he will be raised again. There's something in that truth that we are meant to know and experience when we read this collection of stories together. So more on that soon. You can hold that in your head for now. We're going to move on. The second thing that I find interesting in this story is its location in the lectionary cycle and the liturgical calendar. So as most of you know, we follow a revised, the Revised Common Lectionary, which breaks most of the Bible up into passages that we read over the, over the course of three years. And in each year of the lectionary cycle, year A, year B, and year C, the same stories begin and end this season after the Epiphany. We begin the season with the Epiphany at Jesus' baptism, and it ends here with this transfiguration story. And the thing that those two stories hold together in common 
is that the skies open up and a voice from the clouds or the heavens speak and says, this is my beloved, with him I am well pleased. Similar to what we read this morning in Exodus. And then every year, the very next Sunday, we turn to the season of Lent. Whatever happens in and between these epiphanies has everything to do with what happens next with what we know and what we feel before we enter Lent. But before we really go there, we need to go up that mountain because that's where things get really interesting and weird. So what happens up on this mountain? First, these disciples saw their friend transfigured, a word taken from the Greek words meta, to change after being with, and then, meta, and then morpho, changing form and keeping with an inner reality. They saw their friend in a form that was both recognizable and real, but completely not in this world or of this world. A form so changed that Peter was dumbstruck and offered to build a shelter for them. But what they also saw was their teacher and their friend standing along two other familiar men who represent the law and the prophets of their faith. If these disciples didn't know it before, they know it now. Jesus knows these guys. And not only are they buds, but they exist together right now in another dimension, perhaps of time, but certainly of physicality. So then, of course, the disciples all hit the ground, seemingly out of an overwhelming sense of fear. But also, I would imagine, of beauty and goodness and awe. And they only rise after Jesus touches them. That same touch that raised Lazarus to life healed the sick sick and restored bodies and said, get up and do not be afraid. What they saw was that what was and what is is part of the same story. Everything is connected, everything is real, and that this story they find themselves in is bigger than they thought, but perhaps as big as they hoped. And it's there that I'd like to pause for just a moment. Because isn't that just it? That's the definition of a mountaintop experience. When we see in full, when we have some biting clarity about the story we're in and the story we find ourselves in. But it's also part of the mountaintop experience that we hope this experience might go on forever. But it doesn't. And in each gospel account, this transfiguration moment happens smack oddly in the middle of the story. And in each, Jesus and the disciples move on and continue the work of healing people and restoring people to community as they head towards Jerusalem. Mountaintop experiences are not meant to continue on forever. They're meant, for us to, they're meant to hold up things for us but also to change us, to change our imagination for what could be as we leave the mountain and go back into our lives. So, given all of that, I'd like to return to where we started. There must be some meaning to be made in the way all these things converge. What are we meant to understand from all of this? And to me, it seems almost like the lectionary compilers are doing what Jesus did to these disciples. They're leading us up this mountaintop, a vista, 
to see the whole picture at once before we descend into Lent. There will be some hard things ahead. The work of Lent is hard. But Jesus and the lectionary writers mean for us to see something before that happens. So what is it we're meant to see? Well, they've taken us to the top of the mountain to see the fullness of Jesus and the fullness of the story in which we also find ourselves. And what is that story again? The whole story is just as Peter hopes, that this will go on forever. Peter, James, and John, and all of us are given a foreshadowing of the resurrection in this story to carry with us as we enter the valley ahead. It's why they fall to the ground. It's why he touches them and he, why, he, why he tells them to get back up and do not be afraid because this whole particular story is very scary. We don't know what they saw that day. We can't understand it. We can't commodify it. This is the great mystery. And at this point, you might be like, Emily, are you actually talking about a real resurrection after death? I don't know. Maybe I am. <laughs> it certainly seems to me that this is the imaginative place that Jesus took his disciples on that mountaintop. And it's certainly true that what these lectionary and um, liturgical compilers wanted us to see now at this turn of the year. But here's the thing about all that. As long as our mountaintops give us an expanded theological imagination for what could be, and therefore expands our capacity to do the hard work of justice and hope ahead, then I think it can be trusted. And this metamorphosed image of Jesus is the one we're given as we enter into this season of Lent to carry with us. And it reminds me of our clay crosses that some of you just spent the last hour whittling away at. At All Souls, we, as many of you know, we have this practice of carrying um, these little round clay crosses with us through the season of Lent. For these disciples, this transfigured image of Jesus was their clay cross, the image they would work through of their hands over and over again to sustain them and give them fuel for what they needed in the days ahead. In just a couple of days, we will make this turn towards Lent. We'll be invited into this season of self-examination and repentance. And as you decide what practices you will take on this Lent, what mountaintop vista will sustain you? What biting clarity do you need for the road ahead? But more specifically, and fearfully, how does this promise of resurrection expand your ability to do the work ahead? to do justice, and to live in hope. We cannot fully describe the mountaintop of God, but we can choose to get up without fear and be changed by what we see. My prayer is that our imagination for what could be is expanded so that our work of self-examination and repentance in this season ahead makes us more able to live into the call of Jesus, that hard road of justice and of love.